I'm getting myself set up here with the microphone and that. Um, you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 15 to begin with. John chapter 15 to start. <clears throat> I'll be doing a little bit of um, turning here and there tonight, this afternoon I should say. Um, now as Pastor mentioned, I did put together a little handout for you. I know it's Sunday afternoon, everyone's probably a bit tired, some people probably have a nap about now, um, so maybe the handout might um, help you. <laughs> um, John chapter 15, we're just going to read one verse, verse 5 in John chapter 15 to start with before we open in prayer. John 15, 5 says... I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth, forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Just before we open in prayer, I just want us to today consider the thought, are we abiding in God? Is our lives fruitful? Are our lives fruitful? It says at the end of that verse there, with, for without me, you can do nothing. Are we abiding in God, and is God abiding in us? Or do we, as the title of your message on your outline says, do we need to go after God, going after God? Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the um, chance we've got to study out your word. We pray, Lord, that you would just um, give me wisdom as I share, Lord, what I've um, studied out through, throughout this week and what you've laid on my heart, Lord. I pray that it would be a uh, blessing and a challenge to us here today. And um, Lord, just help us to remain attentive and that, Lord, we'd be able to take something from this. Our message, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, turn back with me to Second Samuel, which is the passage that I've been preaching through of late. Second Samuel, chapter six. That's the chapter that we're up to now. We're, we're going to today to be looking at a story that is recorded for us in Second Samuel, chapter six, and it's also recorded over several chapters in First Chronicles. And we're going to sort of flip between the two because um, both. Uh, books give us different aspects of the story. To start with, I just want to read the first couple of verses in Second Samuel chapter 6. It says, And David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Now also turn over to First Chronicles chapter 13. And you can leave a bookmark in 2 Samuel 6 and in 1 Chronicles if you like. As we turn back before, between the two. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And the first five verses give us the same sort of recount but with a different, uh, different details. It said, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs that they may gather themselves unto us and let us bring again the ark of our God to us for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul and all the congregation said that they would do so for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all the Israelites together from Shiloh of Egypt even unto the entering of Hemath to bring the ark of God from Kerjath-Jerim, 
um, I will stop there at the end of verse 5. When we last left um, David, he'd finally become king of Israel and um, he'd started um, basically trying to fix the nation as such. Israel had strayed a long way from God. Um, during the days of Saul, Israel had lost their sight of their relationship with the Lord and they weren't living for God the way they should have. And David wanted to make that situation right. He wanted to bring his people back to God. We saw last time he began doing this by taking Jerusalem from the Jebusites and destroying their idols. He fought against the Philistines also a couple of times with the Lord's guidance and sought the Lord to help him to know what to do in those situations. And Israel was starting to be a great nation again. David was starting to be blessed by God for the work that he was doing. And Israel was, was becoming the nation that God always wanted them to be. You know, the job was not yet done though. Our passage opens up here in these two books with um, David leading a massive army of people to go and retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from the house of a man named Abinadab. Now David knew that Israel would never be where they needed to be with the Lord until the Ark of the Covenant was restored as the centrepiece of Israelite worship. You know, it needed to be part of their everyday lives. It needed to be a central part of their worship ceremonies, their focus. It was the presence of God among them. That's where God was going to dwell that they could go to. And David knew that until the Ark of the Covenant had this place in Israel's um, eyes, their relationship wouldn't be right with God. Now, so at this point, we'll just do a little quick history on, on the Ark of the Covenant. I'm sure you all, all know a lot of this, but the Ark of the Covenant was built at the command of the Lord, which can be read in Exodus chapter 25. We won't take time to read it. But the word ark simply means chest or box. Now, the ark was a box of wood that measured 133 centimetres long, 80 centimetres wide and 80 centimetres tall. And this box was overlaid inside and out with pure gold and was topped by a golden lid called the mercy seat. And on either side of the mercy seat there were two golden cherubim, which is a type of angel with their wings pointed inwards at the centre of the mercy seat and looking towards each other. And inside the ark um, of the covenant was a golden pot of manna from the uh, wilderness, Aaron's rod that budded, and two tables of the law that were given to Moses at Mount Sinai. Now it was here at the ark of the covenant that God promised to meet with his people. It was here also that the blood was applied on the day of atonement. And I'm sure we're all familiar with the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come in and apply the blood on the mercy seat, which is a great symbol of what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross and shed his blood for us to blot out our sins. You know, it was also the place where God's Shekinah glory would rest. So this Ark of the Covenant is a very important piece of um, furniture in Israel's worship of God. You know, it was also at times led out in front of the army into battle. Um, to have the Lord go with them into battle and things like that. It was vital to Israelite worship. It was symbolic of God's presence among his people. You know, so because it was so important and so central, it was part of their relationship with God, but the ark hadn't been kept in that central position that it deserved. As a result, neither had God. Now in First um, Chronicles chapter 13, 3, we just read that, it said, um, for the ark was not inquired at for all the days of Saul or, or thereabouts, I'm not at the verse at the moment, but basically it said, for the whole time Saul was in charge, we've never once gone and inquired at the ark. The ark was basically forgotten about in the days of Saul. 
You see, way back in the days of Eli, now this is going back at least 40, 50, some commentators think about 70 years, I'm going to say 50, give or take, years ago, the ark had been taken by the Philistines. That accounts in 1 Samuel chapter 4. However, while they had it, God punished the Philistines the whole time that they had the ark with them. And so they, getting sick of it, decided in 1 Samuel chapters 5 to 6 that they were going to get rid of the ark and they were going to send it back to the Israelites because it was way too much trouble for them because they were punished for having it. In, in doing that, their solution was to place the ark on a brand new cart that they had built and have the um, cattle or oxen um, drive the cart back to the Israelites. For them, it worked and that was fine. And then the Ark of the Covenant ended up with the men of Kerjath Jerem in the house of Abinadab, which is where it is in this chapter. So after 50 years or so, David is about to take Israel and lead them to go after God, to get the Ark of Covenant back to fix their relationship with God. Now, we don't have an Ark like Israel did, but we still need the presence of God just as much as them. We need God to be a central part of our lives. We need his power and his manifest presence in our lives and our worship. Yeah, this passage has something to say about this matter of going after God and make him a central part of our lives. So this afternoon I want you to notice with me some simple insights that are contained in this story as we consider the thought of going after God. Now I can't take credit for this alliterated outline. I've um, borrowed this from a commentator. But the first point that you see is the desire of David's heart. The desire of David's heart. For this we're going to just read those verses again in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. The first three verses there says, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good to you, and that it be of the Lord our God, that's the important part here, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of God, our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Yeah, in these verses we see that David, he really wanted to see Israel, God's people, brought back to the right relationship that they were meant to have with God. He wanted Israel to become a great nation again. He wanted to see them unified and serving the Lord God together as God had designed, as God had desired. You see in these verses that this was a big deal for David. This is not something that he was approaching lightheartedly and, and um, as a small little thing. He's gathered everyone together for this. This was a big, big deal. You know, he, this was his desire. The desire of his heart was to get the Ark of the Covenant back and to fix Israel's relationship with their God. There's three things that we can note about his desire here. His desire was holy, it was honest, and it was humble. And firstly, it was holy. David desired God's presence, God's blessing, and God's guidance for the nation of Israel. He wanted to return the ark to bring Israel closer to God to restore their fellowship with him, as we've said. And that's clear to us in these verses. We're told that he, he said that if it be of the Lord, our God, he wanted to make sure it was God's will, first of all. And then we see that one of the reasons he's doing it is because he hadn't, they hadn't inquired of it in the days of Saul at all. He wanted to fix this ongoing problem in their nation. So it was holy. It was also honest. David wasn't motivated by any ulterior motives here. 
He wasn't after the glory or the power or anything like that for himself. He merely wanted to see God restored to his proper place as the sovereign God of the nation of Israel. You know, his, his um, desire was also humble, the third H there. David knew that neither he nor Israel would amount to anything without the presence of God and power of God. He knew that God had made him king to lead the people back to God so that God can be glorified. It wasn't so that David could be glorified. And we can tell this from 2 Samuel chapter 5. Just go back to 2 Samuel now, chapter 5. We'll just read a few verses here that sort of give us an insight into David's um, sort of opinion about being king. It says in verse 12, And David perceived, that word perceived means that he knew, that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he'd exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. So those verses there tell us that David knew that God had made him king over Israel, not for his glory, not for his um, pride or anything like that. It was for the sake of the nation of Israel. Have a look then in verse 19 and 23. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into mine hand. And then in verse 23 it says, And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. That was in the, in the um, message that I preached on last time, those verses. But these verses give us the idea that David knew he wasn't in charge. David was not of the opinion that this is my kingdom, I'm the king, I'm going to do as I want, and, and it's all mine. He didn't have that proud attitude. He wasn't boastful about it. David was humble. He knew it was God's kingdom. And he knew he needed to do what God wanted him to. God was in charge, not him. So David, he had a strong desire. A strong desire for Israel to make God their focus and put him at the centre of their lives and to seek him. And that's where it starts with us. We need to realise that without God, we can do nothing. Like we read in John 15.5. We need to abide in God and have God abiding in us. If we want to serve him if we want to worship him and obey him in our lives. And it all starts with the desire. We need to have that same desire that David had. Without the desire, we're not going to have that close relationship with God that we need. It all starts with the desire. Secondly, that we see the disappointment of David's heart. So the desire of David's heart and now the disappointment of David's heart. We'll read on in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We'll read verses 3 to 10. It says... And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, according, sorry, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacos' threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of that place Perez-Uzzah to this day. That word Perez-Uzzah means against Uzzah. 
Verse 9 says, And David was afraid of, how the, of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him in the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. David had really good motives, good intentions, a great desire as we've seen that was in, in accordance to God's will. But his method was faulty, which caused the death of another man and caused him to become angry and fearful of God. So where did it all go wrong? Well, it started off with a faulty decision. It's our first little sub-point there, a faulty decision. It says in those verses that they set the ark upon a new cart. You know, David and his men, they went and collected the ark, and it was a joyful day, a day that was meant to be full of celebration and praise to God, and it was, until it all went wrong. They put the ark on a shiny, brand-new cart, probably very pleased with their efforts, I imagine. But this was not right. David's first problem was rooted in the fact that he'd either forgotten or ignored the clear command by God as to how the ark was to be transported. Now we know that the Ark of the Covenant was to be lifted by means of two golden staves which were passed through two, four golden rings on the side of the Ark and it was to be carried on the shoulders of a family of the Levites known as the Kohathites. We'll just read, um, go back to Numbers um, with me. Numbers, we'll just have a very quick look at this. Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4 and verse um, 15 says, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of the covering of the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath, which is um, the ones we're talking about here, shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things that the... Sorry, these these things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Have a look also then in Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. It says, But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. Between these verses we're, made, we're told very clearly that they're not allowed to touch the ark of God, of the, of the covenant of God, or they would be struck dead, and that these people, these um, the family of the Levites known as the Kohathites, they were... Um, to bear the ark on their shoulders by these golden staves. And we're also told in Exodus 25 that these golden staves are never to be removed from the ark of the covenant. So it's always good to go. And David made plans and he had good preparations, but he neglected to do it God's way. And he paid a very high price for his faulty decision. You know, why David did this, it's, it's up for a bit of debate, but there, there's a few things that, that could have gone wrong here. First of all, the Ark of the Covenant has been sitting in that house for 50 plus minus years, give or take. It could simply be that because it hasn't been moved for so long that maybe David was unaware as such of how it should be removed. That, I'm a bit sceptical to believe given that it's such a prominent piece of furniture in Israelite worship, I'm sure they should have all known how it should, be, um, how it should have been moved. Probably more so it's a bit of neglect on David's part that he either... Um, didn't seek out the right instructions or he just ignored them. But either way, he paid a very high price for his faulty decision because Uzzah has died following it. You know, another flaw that mars David's decision is the fact that he didn't seek God before he made this decision. 
He asked God whether it was his will to take to go and collect the Ark of the Covenant, but he didn't actually ask God how he should do it. He didn't say to God, we don't read in those passages that he said to God, how should this be done? And God gave him instructions, anything like that. He knew it was God's will, but then he went about it how he thought was the right way. Um, Time and time again, David normally asked for the Lord for help, but he didn't seek the Lord here. He just assumed that because God was blessing him, because he was doing a good thing, um, that the Lord would bless him for it, but he didn't. You know, another problem that we've got here is the idea of the ox cart. It was completely wrong, which we've seen. They shouldn't have had it on a cart. Where did they get the idea of the ox cart from? Well, it was from the Philistines, wasn't it? That's how the Philistines had done it. They put the Ark of the Covenant on the, on the ox cart when they were sick of it and sent it back to the Israelites. Hey, if it worked for the world, why not bring it into the church? That's sadly what some people think, isn't it? And so it's what David's done here. He said it worked for the Philistines, so we'll copy them and do the same thing. That's definitely not what God said. So after they collected the, um, the ark, oh, there was also, sorry, the second part there, it was a foolish disobedience too. So it was a faulty decision on David's part and there was a foolish disobedience. After they collected the ark, they began the journey back to Jerusalem. Uzzah and Ahio were the sons of Abinadab and they drove or they led the ark. Ahio led from the front and Uzzah would have either been behind it or to the side of the ark. And all was going well. David and the people were playing music in worship to God. Everything was going great until they came to Nacon's threshing floor. Now, threshing floor, as you may or may not know, it's a large, flat, hard outdoor area where they put the um, harvested produce on, um, the, the grain and things, and then it would either be beaten um, to loosen the grain from the chaff, or they'd have um, cattle or other animals walk around on top of it to break it all up, and then the chaff would be carried away with the wind. It's up for debate what exactly happened here and, and how, but bottom line, when the ark, when the covenant, oh sorry, the cart with the ark of the covenant on top of it has come to this threshing floor, something has happened, causing the oxen and the cart to stumble, which is what we read in those verses there. And as it's stumbling, as it's about to fall, Uzzah sticks his hand out and touches the ark to stop it from falling. In verse seven, it says, "And the anger of the Lord." Um, oh, sorry. When they came, verse six says, "And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand of, to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And God struck Uzzah dead for touching the ark. The word error in that verse seven means irreverence. It was irreverence. Uzzah touched the ark of God, which was." Very clear in the law, God was very clear in the law about no one ever was to touch it or they would die. And he was struck dead for his, not only his disobedience, but his lack of respect for God and for the Ark of the Covenant. You know, at first we may think that this is harsh on God's part. And you may think, after all, isn't Uzzah doing a good thing? The Ark of the Covenant's about to fall off the car, whether he thought it was about to fall, whether it was falling. And others put forth his hand to stop it. He didn't want it falling in the mud and in the grime and the dirt on the, on the ground. Isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't God be pleased? That might be our first thoughts. Yeah, but there's a few things to remember here. Firstly, Uzzah, as the son of Abinadab, grew up with the Ark of the Covenant in his house. That kind of tells me two things. It tells me, one, he should have known a lot about it. 
And as part of the Levite family, he should have known how the ark should have been transported. He should have been carrying the ark instead of putting on the cart watching it. He should have told David this had David have not known. I think David did know anyway. They just all ignored it. Perhaps as well, because he grew up with the ark in his house, perhaps he developed a lack of respect for what it is. Maybe he didn't take it seriously. Perhaps it was just another bit of furniture in his house. We haven't heard anything about the ark. They never inquired of it in the days of Saul. Perhaps God wasn't blessing them with the ark because it was overlooked. Perhaps he just thought it was another bit of furniture. There was nothing special about it. Maybe he had no respect for it. And the second thing you need to remember is it should have never been on the card in the first place, shouldn't it? Had they obeyed God to begin with, this wouldn't have, been, this wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have been in this mess to start with. The third thing to remember is, since when is it ever right to do wrong to do right? Preached on that a little while ago. Just because they had good intentions, just because Uzzah was trying to stop the ark from falling, he, he was trying to do a good thing, but he went about it the wrong way. Our God is a holy God, isn't he? Sin is sin. It's always sin. doesn't matter whether you're sinning for a good reason, trying to help someone, trying to do the right thing, it doesn't make it right. Sin is always sin. It's never right to do wrong to do right. And others have found this out the hard way. You know, these, these verses teach us anything. They teach us that God is very interested in the details, isn't he? You know, we may think that God doesn't care about the little things in life, but he does. When God gives a commandment, he expects it followed to the letter, doesn't he? Not just in a roundabout sort of way how we think it might need to be done and we'll tweak the God's commandments to suit our lifestyle or whatever. No, it gets done to the letter. And the third thing there that we see is it was a fleshly display as well, a fleshly display. Verses 8 to 10 says, And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. After the death of Uzzah, David became angry. He seems like he was angry at the Lord, but more so likely he was probably angry with himself. He probably is angry with his own foolishness. Had he have done things God's way to begin with, they wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened. Uzzah would still be alive. You know, but instead of repenting and doing things the right way, David decides instead to forget about the whole business, send everybody home, and just take the ark aside to the house of Obed-Edom, which we kind of get the impression maybe it's nearby, it's convenient, let's just put the ark there and be done with it. And Obed-Edom, by the way, was a Levite. Instead of continuing to take it to Jerusalem and doing it God's way, one commentator said this, and I really like this, it said, David stopped praising and started pouting. He stopped praising and started pouting. I quite like that saying, and that's exactly what David did. He just left it, threw his hands up and said, oh, well, I tried, Lord. I tried serving you. I tried doing the right thing. I, I tried to do what you wanted me to do, and it all went wrong, so I'm done. I quit. I'm going back to Jerusalem. We'll leave the ark there. And he even says in the verse there, he says in verse 9, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So it can't be done. How's it going to happen? No, I tried, Lord, and you're angry with us. It's your fault, God. We're not doing it. 
That's what David effectively said. Funny that the man after God's own heart can, can really be, at times, a pretty bad example. Hey, just a bit of a reminder that it doesn't matter how um, spiritual we are, how righteous we are, how much of a man after God's own heart we are. We all sin, don't we? You know, although David desired a good thing and he was following God's will to bring the ark back, he went about it the wrong way. And we need to make sure that we are not only doing what God desires of us, but we are doing it God's way. And when we make mistakes, ask for forgiveness. Repent to God and move on, move forward. God doesn't want us to stop serving or stop obeying just because we made a mistake, just because something went wrong. God doesn't want us to stop praising and start pouting. Quite the opposite. You know, the third point there that we see is the devotion of David's heart. The devotion of David's heart. In verse 11 it says, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, before we get on into um, this point, a little bit of a um, side note. Obed-Edom, this is a bit of bonus here. Obed-Edom, he had something to teach David and us. He wanted the ark, the holy presence of God, with him in his house. He happily accepted it right after Uzzah had been struck dead um, for touching it immediately after. He said straight after Uzzah had had, um, touched the ark of God and been struck dead, he happily took the ark of the covenant into his house and received it. Yeah, how would you feel if, as happened in the early church with Ananias and Sapphira, someone here was struck dead for trifling with God and then, say, Jesus appeared in bodily form and said, I want to come and live with you for three months in your house. How would you feel? Would we be welcoming with open arms? Would we be a bit nervous? How would Obed-Edom here, he welcomed the Ark of the Covenant, even after someone had been killed for their disrespect? You know, God is with us though, isn't he? Something to always remember. God is in our homes. God is with us. God does see what, we, what we're up to, our thoughts and knows everything. God is with us all the time. Now, we should be delighted at the prospect as Obed-Edom was. How often, though, are we, um, are we not delighted with that thought? Verses 12 to 15 says, And it was told to King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and bought the ark up of bought the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David made David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. God blessed Obed-Edom while he had the ark for three months. And David heard about this. And this caused David to remember why he tried to bring the ark back to Jerusalem in the first place. It kind of caused a bit of a change of attitude with David. He started to realise that, hang on, I wanted the ark of the covenant back in Jerusalem for God's blessing. So that God was dwelling with us, where our relationship was right with the, the Israel, and God could bless the nation. He remembered that. And so he had a bit of a change in his devotion, had a change in his, um, his approach here. And after, after seeing this and hearing about this, 
this um, devotion of going after God that he had, this newfound devotion, it saw a change in three things. It saw a change in his attitude, his approach, and his actions. Now, he began with the right attitude, an attitude of reverence and respect. He stopped pouting and he started shouting. Another little quote for you. He stopped pouting now and he started shouting. You know, he also approached the task God's way, as God had commanded. And he showed his devotion also in his actions. He laid aside his royal garments, he wore the ephod, and he even made sacrifices to the Lord. And if we flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, won't be much longer. I just want to read most of this chapter. We're not going to read all of it. But this gives us a lot more clearer idea of exactly how David changed his actions second time around. How he changed his attitude and his approach and his actions. It says in verse 1, And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought carry the ark of God but the Levites. He's already got it right. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister minister unto him forever. And David gathered all all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. Um, And we'll skip ahead a little bit. That's a whole heap of names that David gathers together. It says down in verse 12, And he said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. Big change in his approach this time, isn't there? Not only has he um, got it right that the Levites are to carry it, He's also asking them to go and sanctify themselves beforehand. For because ye did not at the first, for the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So David's recognised now that it wasn't God's fault, it was their fault. They didn't do things God's way the right the first time, and so they were punished. Verse 14 says, So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. Tick, they're getting it right. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. So the Levites he appointed, actually no, we'll skip down, that's a whole heap more names. That, um, that list there is basically all the Levites and what instruments they played and what their jobs were. Um, go down to verse 25. It says, So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring the ark up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. Notice at the start of verse 26, and it came to pass when God helped the Levites. I think that's a very important key verse in there, isn't it? God helped them. The first time they were against God and God did not help them. They were punished. This time God helped them. It's not that God's changed. It's that they've changed. It says in then verse 27, And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, and all the Levites, and they bear the ark and singers and... Um, Chaniah, the master of the song with the singers, David also had upon him an ephod of linen. 
Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the cornet and with trumpets and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. And it came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looking out of the window, saw King David dancing and playing and she despised him in her heart. There's always someone that's got to rain on God's parade, isn't there? So after they brought the ark of the God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone, a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. Things were much, much different this second time around, wasn't they? David took the actual proper um, measures to make sure it was done right. He got the Levites to sanctify themselves. The Levites were carrying the ark as they were meant to. And we read in 2 Samuel they went six paces and then he stopped and sacrificed to the Lord. I guess that was a bit of a, um, woohoo, we've done it right. We've got it right this time. Let's praise the Lord because we're doing it his way. They stopped and sacrificed to God. And, and just the celebration that goes with it once they get it back there and the offerings that David was able to make, everything was done the right way. You know, had uh, sorry, he had David not only had the desire to serve God um, and make God centre in lives, but he now also had the devotion to stick with it and to do it God's way this time, and he did. Because of this, the Lord blessed him, and things were much better the second time round. And David went after God the wrong way. He paid a very high price for his disobedience. However, when he started doing things God's way, his life was revolutionised. He desired God and God's presence and power and he got it all. The nation of Israel got it all. They got the ark where it belonged, where God could bless them. When David did it God's way though. There's an important truth for us in this that, I think this is down the bottom of your notes there, there are no shortcuts to holiness and obedience. There's none. You can't take a shortcut to become holy. You can't take a shortcut to be um, have a good relationship with God. There's no shortcuts to holiness and obedience. It's a great thing to desire God to make him the central focus of our lives so we're led by the Spirit and witness the power of God and his blessings. It's a great desire to serve God in that manner. And we should all have that desire, but we need to go about it the right way. I think David summed it up well about how to go about this in our lives in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, which we know well. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And also our key verse from the intro, John fifteen five: I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. Now what about us? Is God the central focus of our lives or do we need to go after God like David did? Let's just make sure that we do it God's way though with his help. Not our own way with God against us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you Lord for um, this uh, time we've been able to study out this next part of um, David's life. And Lord, even though he got things horribly wrong the first time around and he even gave up and quit, Lord, we do thank you that um, it is a lesson to be learned for all of us that 
Lord, we need to go things, um, go about things your way in our lives. And even when things go wrong and, and, um, and we mess up, Lord, not to start pouting and, and quit or anything like that, Lord, but to continue serving you and seeking you in our lives. Lord, I do pray that we would have you abiding in our lives and us abiding in you so that we can be fruitful, Lord. For without you, we can do nothing. Pray you bless the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen.